I'm pretty sure that this falls under recent events still, because I want to talk about Halloween a little bit. Uh, we're doing our ID series, and I was reminded on Halloween of some of the identities that I wanted to adopt as a kid. My first Halloween, I was Marcus Allen, which really started to uh, breed my love for the Chiefs from a very, very early age. If you guys don't know who Marcus Allen is, he's a phenomenal running back for the Chiefs. He also played for the Raiders, but we don't talk about that. Um, I went through some other phases. Uh, I really wanted to change my name to Ash Ketchum when I was seven. Thought that would be cool. Uh, I really liked Obi-Wan Kenobi. I wanted to be Obi-Wan for a while. He's the best Jedi of all time, so that's just true. Uh, I was Gandalf uh, the Wizard for Halloween. Uh, and then I went through a phase of really wanting to be a zookeeper. And then I really wanted to be a famous musician. Specifically, I wanted to be one of the Jonas Brothers. I think Nick, most likely. Uh, and then my final identity that I really wanted as a kid is I wanted to be a high school quarterback. Not like a professional quarterback, I wanted to be a high school quarterback, which really takes the phrase peaking in high school just to a new level. Like that was my highest aspiration. Uh, and these were all different identities that like as a kid, I was like, man, if I could just get that, like that's when I would have made it. But none of these compare to my favorite dream identity of my childhood. Uh, I wanted to be Tigger. That's me, uh, wow, that was, a lot, a lot, that was funny, a lot more heartwarming than I was expecting. Uh, I want to clarify, y'all, I did not want to be Tigger for Halloween. I wanted to be Tigger. Like, I wanted to actually be Tigger from about four years old to six years old. I wanted to be a bouncing stuffed tiger. Like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, that's what I want. I had the Winnie the Pooh CD, and I would listen to the Tigger song on repeat. I'm not going to sing it now. Uh, and I would jump around my house, and I had this Tigger costume that you can see. I wore that not just on Halloween. I wore that every single day my mom would let me. Like, I put that thing on, and I just really wanted to be Tigger. And the unfortunate thing is that my older sister, Tori, um, she was nine at the time, and she was very concerned for my future. So she, like, sits me and my mom down in this, like, intervention thing and, like, sits down and just says, Nick, you can't be Tigger when you're older. You're not going to make any money. <laughs> She's nine years old, very conscientious. Uh, and my mom is, like, trying to come to my defense. She's like, well, honey, he could, like, work at Disney World or something like that. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, can I go bounce around? Like, that's what I want. And she just goes, well, have fun getting married. I would never marry anyone who's Tigger. And I'm just like, my sister loves me very much, and she cared about me. Um, but I was six years old, so I didn't care, right? Like, all I knew is that I wanted to be Tigger, and that affected my, my identity because it was just like, man, like, that's who I wanted to be. And out of that, a lot of actions flew, or flowed, front flew is not the past tense of flowed. Uh, it came out of how I wanted to live my life. And for the record, I did grow out of that phase very quickly after that. Uh, I do still not want to be Tigger. Uh, that's an, I do not want to still be Tigger. I stumbled over that one. Uh, but it illustrates just how often from an early age we think about who we are or who are we becoming and these are questions that as we're doing our ID series, two of the biggest questions that you will ask yourselves in your 20s and your 30s is who are you and who are you becoming? Because who you are and how other people relate to you, this is one of the most formative ways that God will work in your life. It shapes how you enter into any kind of social interaction. It shapes how you relate to people at your office. It shapes how you relate to your families over the holidays. Uh, your identity will shape how you relate to your future spouse or your future kids. Every single person 
that you will ever interact with for the rest of your life will depend on how much validity you give to the identity that God gives to believers. So it's a really big deal. And if we receive these identities from God, we can walk in a lot of humble confidence. And it frees us up to be confident and live out of who we are. And we'll be freed up to love other people. And we get to experience joy and experience peace. But if we rely on other people to tell us who we are, or we rely on ourselves, so often we end up like me as a kid, and you just change who you want to be every so often. Or someone comes along and tries to crush your identity and tells you something different, like my sister. And we don't want to live that way. We don't want to live at the whims and feelings of ourselves or of any other people around us. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about how Jesus defines Christians as salt and light. I've got some sea salt here. This is from Aldi. Great place to get groceries. This is a flashlight, Duracell. It's very, very bright. But salt and light is what we're talking about. And we're going to be talking about how we receive those titles and what it means to express being salt and light in our lives and on a day-to-day basis. And these two aspects, they really deal quite a bit with how do other people relate to followers of Jesus. So as you're out interacting with other people, these two qualities will impact how other people see you and how you see yourself with other people. And it's really important for two reasons. First of all, if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, this is important because you need to know that the God of the universe says this is who you are. And it's a very, very important thing to remind yourself and cultivate this view of yourself because this is who God says you are. And for those of you who are not followers of Jesus in this room, you need to know what you're getting yourself into. If you're curious and you're like, man, I'm kind of on the fence of whether or not I should follow Jesus, this will shape a little bit of what you know that you're saying yes to or what you're saying no to as you determine Jesus' claims on your life. And so in Matthew 5, where we're going to be tonight, Jesus is going to be beginning what's called the Sermon on the Mount. His followers have been uh, going around with him, and there's a large crowd, and and they want Jesus to teach them something. And so Jesus is going to go up on a large hill, and it overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And so everyone is is seated down, and they're listening to Jesus speak, and he's going to explain what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and who they are, and because of that, how they live differently from the world around him. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, God, I I pray that tonight we would just hear from your word. Uh, God, I pray that you would empower us to uh, just be able to hear from your scriptures what you want to say to us. Uh, God, I pray that we would see ourselves, God, not how the world defines us or not how we try to define ourselves, but God, that we would see ourselves as you define us. And God, it would be something that doesn't just sound good to us, God, but it's something that translates into real life change as a result of your word. And so, God, we need you. Please show up tonight. God, we love you, and we're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So starting off in Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if Jesus, or but if salt, well, if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. 
So Jesus, he's calling his followers here salt and light. Salt was in that day what it is still today. It's a seasoning. Uh, this is actually something interesting. I learned that it was also used as a fertilizer. There are minerals in sea salt that is actually good for plants to grow if you mix it into the top layer of the topsoil. It was also used as a preservative uh, because in a world without ice and refrigerators, they had to have something that kept the meat from spoiling. Light, in a, in a very similar way, was also valuable. It was much rarer than it is today. Uh, they didn't have electricity, and so it was maybe even more valuable than it is because the only way that you could find light if it was dark outside was by lighting an oil lamp or a candle. And those were very, very expensive to maintain. And so chances are, if the sun wasn't up, uh, there's a great chance that you were either asleep or you were sitting in darkness unless you had the means to keep this light going through either oil or through candles. And so when Jesus says that his followers are salt and light, he's saying that you are going to be valuable to the world around you. And you are going to be a blessing to the world around you. But before we talk about what that means, we need to get to the first point. And point number one is that salt and light is who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is who you are. You are salt and light. And the reason I say that is because these things are not determined by your actions. Your actions flow out of who you are, and it's really, really important that we get this. Here's an illustration of this. Let's say that I wanted to be the president of the United States, right? If I wanted to be the president, I could ask myself the question, what does the president do? I could say he lives in a big white house. He wears a suit every day. He has bodyguards. Clearly, it sounds like I don't know a lot about what the president does. But he, he makes important policy decisions that determine the course of our country. And so I could look at that and think, okay, that's what the president does. So tomorrow morning, I could wake up, I could go outside, and I could paint my house white, and I could hire some bodyguards, and I could wear a suit, and I could go into my office, and I could start writing executive orders and shipping them out across the United States. That would not make me the president of the United States. Why? Because the title of president is something that is bestowed upon you. It's something that is given to you. It's not something that you earn by first being the president and then you're suddenly called the president. And in the same way, our identity with God is very similar. Every single title that we're going to be going over for our ID series, these are titles that the God of the universe calls his followers. And it is not something that you earn. It's not something that you do. It's not something that you have to work your way into. It is a gift that God looks at you and he says, when you become my follower, you are salt and you are light. And the God of the universe wants to give us these titles. And so if you're in the room tonight and you have trusted in Jesus and he is the Lord of your life, you are salt and you are light. And there's nothing you can do to earn these titles. And there's actually nothing you can do to lose these titles either, which is amazing when you think about it because it really frees us up then to just express what it means to be salt and light. This connects a lot with abiding, which Charlie talked about last week. Again, it doesn't come from something we do. There's things that we can do, though. Uh, they can be called spiritual disciplines. Some people call them habits of grace. Things like reading and memorizing God's word. Uh, things like prayer or Bible study with other believers. Sharing the gospel. Uh, giving money. Being generous. Confessing sin. These are all things that are good. But, but they never allow you to become salt and light. Those are just ways that we discover and remind ourselves of our identity. And in the same way that we're going to talk about 
living out of this identity is going to affect our actions and our speech. Our speech and our actions don't determine who we are. God determines who we are. And so the only way that we can be salt and light is if we are followers of Jesus. Because every single person in this room, myself very heavily included, without Jesus, we are sinners. And we are living in darkness and despair, and we can't really do anything about that. And it's kind of hard, but the, the, the amazing thing is that there's this miracle that takes place. When someone starts to follow Jesus, and their life is supernaturally transformed, and they become a new person, and they receive these new identities. And so whenever you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't get to define yourself anymore. But God suddenly is the one who defines you because you're his and because he bought you with a price. And because he is the Lord of your life, then he gets to say, no, you are my child and I love you and this is who I want you to be. And suddenly everything that we start to see and everything that we start to do changes, but it's out of an overflow of God saying, this is who you are. And so since if you are a follower of Christ and you are in this room, you are a part of his family, and that means that he says that you are salt and you are light. And it is very, very important that we grasp this. Because like we said, even before we talk about what it means to do this, we have to see, we have to see, y'all, that the only way to live out our identity, the only way that we're going to be attractive to the outside world, in a way that cuts through the darkness and the sin and the evil around us, is if we walk deeply with Jesus. That is the only way we are going to be able to enact these things in our lives. The, the crazy thing is, it, it's impossible to walk deeply with Jesus and not be salt and light. Being a, in a relationship with Jesus, it gives us this identity, and he asks this rhetorical question back in Matthew 5. He asks the question, he says, how can salt be made salty again? This is a rhetorical question because the answer is, salt can't lose its saltiness. Salt is salty because of the chemical natures of what makes it up. And if it becomes something else, then it's not salt anymore. And so it's impossible for salt to not be salty. And, and sure, there are things that look like salt, right? There are little crystals that can resemble salt. And there might even be things that act similar to salt. There are things that melt snow. There are things that add seasoning. And it looks or acts like salt, but it's not salt. And so what Jesus is saying, he's not saying, hey, if you just look or act a certain way, that's what changes you. He's saying, it doesn't matter if you look like you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you act like a Christian or you're even similar to a Christian. What matters is if you are a Christian. And the reason why Jesus brings this up is because he knew in that day and today, there's this phenomenon called cultural Christianity. There's this thing that people will call themselves Christians without actually having a relationship with Jesus. And, and they might do some of the same things. They might speak the same way. But when you get down to it and you examine their lives, they are not a Christian because they're, they don't know Jesus. And they're not different from anything else. And, and can I just tell you guys, this is a very, very painful way to live. Because this is how I lived the first 18 years of my life. I, I grew up with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And I thought, man, if I can just be a good enough person, man, if I can just go to youth group enough, man, if I can just go to Bible study enough, I was confirmed when I was a kid. I was like, all these things, I think that this will get me in the door. But at the same time, I realized that I had no ability to live differently. And every single time temptation came knocking, 
I had zero ability to resist sin in my life. And I didn't even really want to because I loved my sin. I thought, man, at the end of the day, who cares if I live a life that's focused on me? Who cares if I hurt other people for the, the sake of my own enjoyment or the sake of my own pleasure? It doesn't really make matter too much because ultimately my life revolved around me. But it was really hard because on one sense, I called myself a Christian. But then in the other sense, I knew that I wasn't because I didn't live how Christians live. And, and this was painful. This was very confusing to me because I was having an identity crisis. Y'all, the, the thing that changed was I met Jesus. In October of 2012, I realized that I did not have a relationship with Jesus. And I sat there and I realized for the very first time that what it meant to be a Christian was not that I talked or act or looked a certain way. But it's that I knew Jesus and that I had a relationship with him. And suddenly my life began to change because I knew Jesus. And, and it wasn't because I knew about Jesus. And it wasn't because I knew of Jesus or because my family knew about Jesus. It was because I began to know him in a way that you know your friends and you know your family. Because you just start to spend time with him. And you speak to Jesus and you listen to Jesus. And it changes your life. Just like in the same way that having relationships with other people changes how you live. Uh, there's this thing that happens with, with old married couples over the years, if they have a, a healthy marriage, like they begin to look similar to each other or they act similar to each other. I'm not sure if you've seen this. You can just Google old married couples looking like each other. It's actually really heartwarming. Uh, I would encourage you to do it. But the crazy thing is they begin to look like each other because they spend so much time together. There, there's this thing called facial mirroring. And, and because they spend so much time looking at each other, their facial expressions start to look the same. And it's because of shared time. Uh, there's this thing where the way that they speak begins to be the same. Even immune systems can start to be similar. Because they spend so much time together and they eat the same food and they speak with one another. And slowly, they just start to become more and more similar because of all the time that they spend in intimacy with together. And so in a very, very similar manner, this happens when we know Jesus. Our lives begin to mirror him because we're close to him. And the more that we can introduce Jesus to the world, that's going to be something that's valuable and that's attractive. And that brings up point number two, that as salt, you add value to the world. This is crazy. Because you know Jesus, you add a very unique value to the world around you. And you start to be like Jesus to the world. Uh, we mentioned previously that the salt is a seasoning. It's a preservative and it's a fertilizer. And God uses his followers in the world to do the exact same thing. For example, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will add flavor to the people in your life. So often there's this pleasantness or there's this attractiveness about Christians that when other people see them and they see the way they speak and they see the way they act and the way they love, it's just attractive to people. And they think, man, I want that person to be my friend. Or I want that person to be in my wedding party. Or I want to be coworkers with that person. And people will just genuinely want more of you. Colossians 4, 5 through 6, Paul's saying to conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, as a believer, your life is going to be attractive to people. And so you should focus on doing that. 
And again, this comes from knowing Jesus. And since Jesus had a, uh, he had a lot of strong claims, honestly, that people did not like. But for the most part, throughout history, people have really liked the person and the idea of Jesus. Like, I mean, he's loving and he's generous. And Jesus preaches forgiveness and he's kind. And he stands up to injustice and he cares about the poor. And he cares about children and he heals the sick. It's like, man, Jesus was a good man. And so Jesus is God as well, and God is a good God. And if you are connected to a good God, you are going to start mirroring goodness into the world around you. And if you're asking the question, well, why does God want his followers to be so attractive to the world? It's because God calls people to taste and see that he is good. God, God just wants people to get a glimpse of what it means to be in a relationship with him. And so when we walk closely with Jesus and that relationship starts to spill out into all of our, our lives around us, people will see God's goodness. And if we're going to reflect and show God's goodness, then we're going to do that by mirroring what Jesus did. And the only reason that we can, and the only way that we can mirror what Jesus did is if we spend time with Jesus. And so if we're curious, what are some ways like, that Jesus lived? In this very same sermon that Jesus calls his followers salt and light, he talks about forgiving people that, that wrong you. He says, or turning the other cheek. And so if there's someone at work and they wrong you and you're abiding with Jesus, you'll forgive them and be kind in response because you know Jesus. Jesus says elsewhere that it's important to be meek or it's important to be gentle. And he wasn't an angry person, but he lived with self-control. And so if you're walking with Jesus, you're not going to blow up at, at your family at Thanksgiving when conversations get heated, when everyone's tense, because you're going to have self-control and gentleness because you spend time with Jesus. Jesus said that he came to serve. And so if you're spending time with him, you are going to begin to serve your friends. Maybe you'll be the DD when your friends are going out to the bars. Or maybe you'll buy someone's meal just because you love them and you care about them. Or maybe you know someone's moving and you just want to show up and help them out. I don't know. There are so many ways that we could serve people. But you just show up when people need you because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus would do. And these are really, really attractive things to the people around us. And people are going to look at that and they're going to think, man, God is attractive. Because it accurately portrays who God is to the world around us. And that is such an important thing. There's another powerful way that we can show people that God is good. It's just quite simply how we talk to people, right? This is big. Jesus teaches in Luke 45 that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So then the question is for us, when we open our mouths and we begin to speak, what comes out? Is it good or is it evil? Because if you're constantly speaking poorly about people, or you're constantly celebrating things that God clearly says in his word are evil, or your conversations are constantly focused on you, there's a very strong indicator that your heart is not full of Jesus, and that you're not walking deeply with Jesus. It's honestly, it's really hard for me when I either see myself or I see other Christians speak about God as if he's boring. 
right? Or they speak about God as always commonplace. Or maybe you see Christians who are really angry or judgmental. Or you see Christians who distort the truth and they don't share accurately what the Bible says. And it's hard to see that because one, it reflects poorly on God. And it's not an accurate depiction of who God is. And two, it means that they aren't really that close to Jesus. And that's really sad to think about. It's, it's very equally scary for me. I don't know if you guys are ever there, but sometimes I find myself in conversations just constantly talking about me. And someone asks, and the first thing that I say is, well, this is what I'm going through, and, and this is what's happening in my life, and this is what I want. And just what pours out of my mouth is me, me, me. And what does that mean my heart is full of? It's full of self. It's full of selfishness. It's full of just self-focus. And if you look at what Jesus routinely talked about, what came out of his mouth, he shows within his heart because he talked about God the Father in a way that was honoring. And he talked about other people and he asked about other people. He was, he was outward focused. And, and this outward focus, it brings up another aspect of salt. It's that salt is a fertilizer like we talked about. So salt has these minerals that, that helps plants grow, specifically sea salt. And in the same way, if we are the salt of the earth, we have these things about our lives that's going to help other people grow. And so often, that's talking to other people and asking them questions about themselves. Because when we talk to other people and we ask them questions, that sets them on a path of self-discovery. And they start to begin to learn things and figure things out for themselves about themselves. And that's what leads to growth. And that's what leads to deepening. And they start to ask questions about who Jesus is and who they are. Jesus was a master of this, unsurprisingly. Uh, to quote a theologian uh, named Martin Copenhaver, uh, he says, in the Gospels, get this, Jesus asks many more questions than he answers. To be precise, Jesus asks 307 questions. Jesus asks 307 questions. And he says he's asked 183 questions to which Jesus only answers three. Jesus asks 307 questions, and he only directly answers three questions. Which is kind of crazy, because we're like, Jesus, you know everything. Like, you're the source of truth. You are the truth. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Surely you should just be answering everyone's questions. But yet so many people began to follow Jesus and see their need for him. And I think it's because Jesus knew what we need to do is that we need to be a fertilizer and we need to help people grow in order to know the God of the universe. And so we ask questions about others. And sometimes they're going to be deep questions, right? Sometimes they're going to be theologically laced questions. Sometimes they're going to be spiritual. They're going to be hard. But sometimes it's just asking about someone and just genuinely listening and caring about what's going on in their life. And I promise you, as you begin to really listen and engage with people, your relationship with that person is going to grow. Their self-awareness is going to grow. But ultimately, it's going to provide inroads for you to begin to talk about who Jesus is and ask them about what they think about God and if they're followers of him. And you're going to be able to share the gospel by just asking questions so often. And if you spend time with Jesus and you live like him and you speak like him, other people are going to feel so valued. And so cared because you're genuinely caring about them and you're also sharing what's true. And you're loving them and you're serving them. And you're not going to just be a better friend, but you're going to provide avenues for depth and for growth in other people's lives that they will have not seen before. 
And you will look different, and you will add value to the world around you because you know Jesus. And, and you'll have to be intentional with this. But if you spend time with Jesus in such a way that it just begins to overflow out of your life, it will be unmistakable to the people around you. They will look at your life and think, man, you are different. You are not the same. And that leads us to our final point. Point number three, your light cannot be hidden. Jesus teaches this back in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. Light cannot be hidden. And we, we've been talking tonight about how salt is so valuable and, and how people enjoy it and how we can enrich other people's lives. And so you might be thinking, man, shouldn't Christians be like the most popular people in the world? Like if we add so much value, if they add so much value, like why are they not just the most loved people around? And if you're familiar with the Bible or you're familiar with the world, you know that that's just not the case. And you know that so often people dislike or they hate Christians when they share the truth, just like they hated Jesus when he accurately shared the truth with other people. The reason for this in illustration is light and darkness, they have a very, very particular relationship and that they cannot coexist. Darkness does not like light, and light exposes what's in the dark. You can go ahead and kill the lights. Check this out. I've got this flashlight here, like I mentioned. Wherever the light goes, darkness is exposed. And anywhere that I point this light, whatever is there is revealed to us. And darkness just can't hide from this. You can get the lights back on. In the same way, y'all, in the world, there is a lot of darkness. There's hatred, there's rage. There's anger, there's murder, there's pornography, there's sexual immorality, sexual exploitation, there's greed, and there's lies. And this is not just the supernatural evil forces of the world that are doing this. This is us. This is people. And we do these things, and we perpetuate these things. And as a follower of Jesus, when you step into the light, your life changes because you reflect God's glory. But you reflect God's glory into a dark world. And the dark world does not like that. Jesus taught this in John 3, that light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil deeds hates the light and does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. Y'all, people living in darkness don't like to be exposed. I think we all relate to this. When you think of the things that you've done that you're ashamed of, that you don't like to look in, in the mirror, you don't want to do that in broad daylight. So often you want to do it at night or behind closed doors or when no one's watching because you're ashamed of it. But the issue is then when they begin to see the light, it says that we hate the light. And the thing is, people tend to love Jesus, right, when he's a healer or when he provides blessing or when they just think Jesus is teaching positivity or good vibes. 
But when Jesus starts to expose the ugly parts of our hearts and the parts that if we're honest, we like and we want to hang on to, what do we do? We try to cover it up. And we try to make excuses. We might say, oh, I'm not that bad. Ah, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. The Bible's not accurate. Just like darkness runs away from light. And Jesus says that your light cannot be hidden. And I want to be very, very clear here. Your light is not because we are so great or because we are perfect or because we're so holy. The light that comes is when we begin to share the fact that we are sinners who lived in evil and we lived apart from God. That shines light into the world, but that message is uncomfortable to people who love their sin. Because they don't want to be exposed, and you're not reflecting your own light, but you're reflecting the light of the holiness of God. And that cannot be hidden, and that is something that is uncomfortable, and it's unacceptable to people living in sin, because they see the holiness of God, and they're convicted, and they feel deep down in their hearts. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know exactly what this is like, and you've been there. And this message, then, of life change and of light overcoming darkness the message that's so hated and so controversial, this is what it is. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Y'all, people don't like the fact that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. We don't like needing a Savior naturally. We want to think, man, I'm good enough. We want to think I'm not that bad. But at the end of the day, we need a Savior because our lives are messy and our lives are broken. And the Bible says spiritually we're dead on the inside without God. And the crazy thing is that God takes our mess and he makes it our message. But as we begin to share how our lives are messy and dark and ugly before Jesus, people relate to that messiness. And they see themselves in it. And they are going to look at your message and they're either going to push you away or they're going to press in. Because they're curious and they want to learn more. And so when you see someone living in sin or you're talking to someone, what you need to do is you need to lovingly and patiently expose it by you sharing your own story of life transformation. And you can say, you know what, that reminds me about the time that I realized that I was living in sin and darkness and here's how Jesus changed my life. And then you share the light of the gospel through that and that pushes back against the evil things in the world because people begin to see, you know what, evil is unacceptable and sin is unacceptable. And God is good. And so as followers of Jesus, we expose evil things. And we expose them in our own lives. And we talk openly about them. And we expose them in the world around us. Because we talk about things like selfishness. And we talk about things like abuse or hate or bitterness. And then we begin to change because we're with Jesus. And we act differently. And suddenly we live in generosity. And in sacrifice, and in love, and in forgiveness. And over time, your life begins to more and more clearly reflect the light of God. As you continue to spend time with Jesus. And people are going to disdain you for that. 
and you're going to forgive them and turn the other cheek. And you're going to look like Jesus when you do that. And so when your family's asking you why you're still single, or when your family's asking you why you, you don't have a good enough job, and you respond in kindness and gentleness, you look like Jesus and you reflect Jesus. And they might feel convicted because they're like, man, they know that they're not speaking in a way that's good. And your light is shining into their lives. But you look like Jesus. And you forgive people who have wronged you. And when you go to that person and you say, I'm not going to speak poorly about you. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to even pray for good things for you. Even though you've hurt me so badly. Even though you've wronged me in so many ways. I'm going to resolve conflict and I'm going to be a peacemaker. When you do that, you look like Jesus. And you reflect Jesus into the world. And so many other situations, when you just share openly about the story of how Jesus changed your life. And we all have different stories. Sometimes it's tempting to think, man, some of us were worse than others. We all were at the same spot. It just looked different for every single person. But you begin to share openly about how God has changed you. People may hate you for that. Because in the same way that you mirror God's goodness into the world, you're also a mirror for other people to look into. And they see their own mess when you talk about how God has transformed your life. And people aren't going to like it when they tell you or when you tell them that the reason why your life changed is because of Jesus. Because that's going to show them that they have a need to change. And what do you do in that situation? You love them anyways. And you don't care about how people treat you because you trust God that he knows what he's doing. And you continue to love people and you continue to reflect goodness and you forgive and you're kind, and it reflects Jesus into the world, and it is a light, and it preserves our world, because Jesus finishes in Matthew 5, 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before people, so they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. You know, some people, they are going to see your life, and they are going to honor God because of it. And they're going to look at that and think, man, that is so cool that that person's life was transformed. And while a lot of people might not like it, there's going to be some people who do. And they're going to praise God on your account. And they might even become followers of Jesus. Because they get to see the light of the gospel in your life. And all of this comes because Jesus is your friend. And he says, you are salt and you are light because you spend time with me. And this is what it means to be salt. And this is what it means to be light. Is that you add value to the world. And it doesn't matter how other people see you or treat you. You add value to the world because you know God. And you reflect God's light into the world. Not because we're so great, but because God tr transforms you more and more into his likeness every single day. And that is going to be something that will happen for the rest of your life. But it's so, so worth it because people get to see not how great you are, but how great God is. And that is something that the world continually needs more and more of. And maybe there, there's some of you here tonight that you're living in darkness and you do not want to be exposed. Maybe you've never trusted in Christ and you're kind of ashamed of who you are and what you've done. And you think, man, God's never really going to want me. And so what you do is you stay hidden and you don't expose it and you don't take it to God. Because on the one hand, you might not think that he accepts you, but also you know that you kind of love your sin. And you're like, I don't really want to change. And you feel torn because of this. 
And there's so much conflict that's going in in your heart. And can I just say, if that's you, you are in such good company right now. Because at one point, that is every single person in this room. Every single person who has experienced the love of Christ knows what it means to have that, that feeling of conflict inside. And I'm just going to tell you, if you want freedom, it will mean walking into the light. And it will mean exposing those parts of your life to God. It will probably mean exposing those parts of your life to other people and community. But the crazy thing is that as other people know you, you begin to experience God's unconditional love. And you begin to experience God's grace to you. And you begin to see that it doesn't matter what you've done, that God will accept you anyways. Because God so loved you that he gave his one and only son to die for you. That whoever believes in him says whoever. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. Whoever believes in Jesus can have eternal life. And all you need to do is you tell Jesus, I'm, I'm done living for myself. I'm done trying to do whatever I want. I'm done trying to seek my own way. And you just admit that your heart is ugly and full of sin. And that's painful, but then you get to see the love of God. And you get to experience that life transformation. And you just trust that God will change you. And you trust that God gives eternal life. And then you get to know him for the rest of your life. And I cannot emphasize enough how important and life-changing and eternal that decision is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you that you have given us this identity. God, not because we're so great, God, or not because... I've done things or because of the way I've lived or cleaned up my life, God, but just because I know you. And God, I am just so grateful for every single man and woman in this room who knows you and has a relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would help us to see our identity in you more and more. And God, you would help us to begin to understand what it means to be followers of you and to live out our identity. And God, I pray that if there are people in this room who don't know you, God, that they would know, God, that you did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And God, that when they see you, God, they would see a God who is loving and just and pure. And God, they would know that the only way, God, that they can know you is by accepting your son's death and resurrection for their sins and coming into the light and being transformed and being made new. And so, God, I pray if, if, God, that person is here, would your spirit just be working on their hearts right now? And, God, for those of us that feel like we've been living in darkness and we're followers of Christ, God, but we've been hiding things from you or from people who love us, God, I pray that we would walk into the light, God, so that what can be seen is that you change our lives. And it doesn't matter about who we were or who we are, God, because we know we're being transformed more and more into your likeness. And so God, begin to just show us these things more and more every single day. And we pray all these things through your son's name, Jesus. Amen.